Father, we come to you today. We thank you that you are a God of order. Even when our world seems to be descending into disorder, you are a God that brings order to chaos. Father, I pray today for our nation. Lord, I ask you that that you would bring healing to our land, that you would bring reconciliation, that you would bring restoration. Father, that once again, we would be a land that calls on the name of the Lord. Father, we thank you that as a church family that we are able to gather, that we are able to worship together, that we're able to sense the presence of God together, that we're we're able to engage with one another, that we're able to hear the word, to be edified, to be built up, to be convicted. Father, I thank you that the Holy Spirit still moves today. And Father, we pray for our nation. We pray, Lord, that your healing would be upon our land. And I pray, God, that as we gather this evening to worship together in our outdoor service, as we gather together to pray, I pray that we would sense that healing in this land. Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us today. My name is Kevin Taylor. This is our online service here at Silver Creek Church, and it's so great to be together. We're wrapping up our series called Love Does, and today I'd like to share a message with you that's entitled Cover Up. Now, the word or the phrase cover up refers to concealing evidence of wrongdoing, and that's a little different from another word that we frequently hear used called conspiracy, which is a secret plan for unlawful purposes. Now, I'd like to take a moment and and start really by talking about the greatest cover-up of all time. And it certainly seems that right now in our society, the issue of conspiracy and cover-up, it seems like everyone thinks that that everything is a conspiracy, that everything is a cover-up. And certainly throughout history, not only of our nation, but of the world, we've seen lots of things that are are cover-ups, lots of things that we might qualify as being conspiratorial in nature. Let me just throw out a few of them for you. How about the assassination of President John F. Kennedy in 1963? Lots of debate, lots of evidence, lots of conversation on that. How about uh, Watergate in 1972? How about Chernobyl in 1986? What about Area 51? What's really happening out in the desert in Area 51? Here's a couple that that are a little bit more humorous, but yet at the same time, lots of information, lots of opinion, Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot. I like watching Finding Bigfoot once in a while, and I get a good laugh out of it. And I've had a few scary experiences out in the woods where I couldn't exactly explain everything that I saw. Here's 
one of my favorites, though. Uh, Julia Child, the beloved uh, cooking show personality, she was a spy, or an agent, rather, for the CIA in World War II. One that I know that resonates with a lot of people, Elvis is still alive. And then from 1965, in a championship fight between Muhammad Ali and Sonny Liston, the phantom punch, did it really happen? How about the Illuminati? How about the question of whether or not Hitler survived World War II? And one that's a little bit more recent, that Jeffrey Epstein really did not commit suicide. And one of, one of the ultimate cover-ups, one of the ultimate conspiracies of all time from 2014, let me simply say, sports fans, the word deflategate. Those are some incredible cover-ups that that we know about from from society just within the last few years. But I want to take you to the book of Micah, and I want to read to you about the greatest cover-up of all time. Let's read from Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Micah says this, Who is a God like you, who pardons sin? and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will treat our sin, tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depth of the sea. The year was 1978. I was 14 years old. And our church had a ranger program much like we do here at Silver Creek. And 1978 was the year for the National Camperama for Royal Rangers. And our group decided that we would go on that trip. It took place in Farragut State Park, Idaho. 3,000 ranger boys, not only from around the country, but even from around the world. There was a group there from Australia that year. And right there near Farragut State Park was a lake called Lake Ponderé. And that lake was a thousand, rather 1,150 feet deep. It was the it is the fifth largest or deepest lake, rather, in North America, and it was used during World War II as a naval training base. And they would actually train submarine pilots there in that lake. I remember that summer going swimming in that lake. And that was before my experience up here in the UP, of course. And I remember getting a headache in that water because the water was so incredibly cold. Well, we were there in July, and we were told that the week or two before we arrived there in Farragut State Park, that a body had surfaced in Lake Ponderé. And it was identified as being someone who died seven years earlier. That lake is so cold and so deep that the body was preserved and able to be 
identified. Now, our own Lake Superior, 1,350 feet deep. There's also a lake in Siberia that is 5,387 feet deep. I want you to imagine for a moment the secrets that those lakes can hide. Right here off of our own shores, various shipwrecks that exist, that have been discovered, that have been dove upon and researched. Our lakes, they, they have incredible secrets that they hide. Well, the Bible tells us that God forgives our sin and that he hurls those sin into the depths of the sea. What that really means is that God puts his knowledge of the sins that we have committed, he puts them on the floor of the ocean or the deepest sea. And I heard it once said that after he does that, he hangs a sign on a buoy in that place that says, no fishing. Why would God be willing to do this? Or why would God need to do this. The Bible tells us, of course, that we have all sinned, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah tells us that our own personal righteousness is as filthy rags. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 8 and verse 12, that God says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Pastor John Piper of Desiring God said this, God does not call to mind our sin in a way that is destructive to us. I assure you that God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. But when we come to Christ, when we invite Jesus into our lives to be our Lord and Savior, when we receive the free gift of salvation, when we receive the forgiveness of our sins, God still knows our sin, but he chooses not to call them to mind. And there's a reason for that, because Romans also says that the wages of our sin is death. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that God does not dredge up our past sin. Imagine the worst sin of your life or of my life floating to the surface. Today, I just want to say, God, thank you. Thank you that you have chose not to remember our sins. It is literally the greatest cover-up of all time that when we come to Christ, that my sin and your sin, God has buried them in the deepest sea and he chooses not to remember them anymore. Thank you, God, for that wonderful blessing. Next, I want to point out to you that love covers sin. Let's look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 1 and verse 18, where Isaiah says this, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. 
You know, it was a few years ago that game shows were just the, the most popular thing um, on daytime television. And uh, there was a, a, a particular game show that was, that was pretty popular. In fact, the TV Guide called it the fifth um, most popular game show of all time. And it was called Password. And Password was on for, for over 20 years. And there was a home version of this game that you could go to the store and you could buy and you could bring home and play it with your family. And it consisted of a card that you would get. And the card um, would have the words that you had to um, use to try to get other people to guess those words. You couldn't say those words, but you would give them clues so that they would guess those words. But those words were camouflaged with a, a red logo that said Password. So if you just glanced at the card, if you were on the opposing team, you couldn't necessarily read the word that you were supposed to try to guess. And so you would also get um, a, a little pocket sleeve and you would slip your, um, your card into that pocket sleeve. And that pocket sleeve had a, an opening that was cut out and there was red cellophane that was used. And when your card slipped through there, all of those red um, logos from um, the, the password logos, all those red things that were camouflaging the word that you needed to see, they would literally disappear and the word that you needed to see would come through very clearly and was very easy for you to read. As I think about that old game, I see the correlation to what God has done for you and I. You see, God sees my sin, God sees your sin through the blood of Jesus. You see, Jesus' blood changes the color of our sin. The Bible says that, that though our sin was as scarlet or crimson, that it has been changed to be white as snow or white as the color of pure wool. God changes through the blood of Jesus Christ how he sees our sin. Let's look at Psalm chapter 103, uh, verses 2 and 3, where the psalmist says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. You see, God's love caused God to send his son Jesus. And Jesus shed his blood to cover our sin. In Jesus' own declaration of kingdom principles found in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, we read in verse 12 that Jesus said, when we pray, here's how we need to pray. And in the midst of that, he says, and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. I want you to notice that Jesus is speaking in the past tense here. 
And this is literally how he is saying that we should pray when we come to God. That we should say, God, forgive me of my sin. Cover up my sin. Literally cast my sin. Hurl it into the deepest ocean and remember it no more as I have already forgiven the one who has sinned against me. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, the Apostle Peter says this, Above all, love each other deeply. And here's what I want you to notice, because love covers a multitude of sin. The Apostle John, in his letters, he goes so far as to say that if we do not love our brother, that we do not love know God. Forgiveness is the essence of love. In fact, I would dare say that you cannot love someone that you have not forgiven because unforgiveness will always get in the way of love. So what happens if we refuse to forgive those that are around us? You see, if, if our sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus, I wanted to say that we're obligated, but I don't think that's really right. I think it's that we will forgive. Because if our sins have been forgiven, we will love. And if we are going to love others, we are going to forgive. Number three, I want you to think about an old saying it's an old Italian saying uh, that's 360 years old. And it's a saying that says, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You see, it's really only a natural thing that we don't want to be taken advantage of. In fact, when others wrong us, when others hurt us, when others offend us, we tend to stay away from those people. We tend to keep them at arm's length. It's a very natural tendency, I believe, that is just ingrained into us as humans. So let's look at what the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 19. He says, a brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. When we've been wronged, when we've been hurt, when someone has sinned against us, we tend to put up walls. We tend to keep people at an arm's length because of that hurt. We don't want to allow those people to get close to us again because we want to keep them from doing it again to us. And as natural of a response as this may seem for us to be, what this is not allowing us to do is to address the issue, to bring restoration and reconciliation so that we are able to forgive. Jesus and Peter had a really interesting conversation about this same issue. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but I know that I have. 
Have you ever asked a question because you thought that that question was going to make you look smart? I believe that's exactly what the Apostle Peter did. We read about it in Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 21. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And some versions actually say 70 times seven. So in this conversation, Peter asks this question so that he will seem like he's really got something on the ball here. And he throws out a ridiculous number because none of them that are there will actually uh, believe that they would allow themselves to be put into a situation where they would need to forgive a brother or sister seven times for sinning against them. But Jesus really blows Peter and the other listeners away when he addresses this issue and says, no, not 70 times, but 77 or 70 times 7. 490 times we would need to forgive someone that has sinned against us. Some of you right now are thinking, where was this verse 10 years ago in my life when I felt like I was forgiving the same person over and over again? I could be done by now. I could, I could be moving on in my life if it weren't for this. We must forgive, not seven times, not even 77 times or 490 times, but when people sin against us, we must forgive every time. You see, Peter was doing something by, by, by grabbing the number seven and putting this arbitrary number on there. Peter was showing that he was keeping a record of the number of times that someone had sinned against him. The Apostle Paul, in his description of love, in 1 Corinthians 13, he just, he blows us away, beginning at verse 4, when he says about love, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and look at this, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Man, does anybody else feel like a complete failure when you look at those, those words and you think of how our lives live up to those words and we see how we fall short of those words? Paul says love keeps no record of the wrongs, the hurts, the sins, the offenses that others have committed against us. You see, we're more apt to say, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You see, 
We count those offenses. We remember those wrongs. And we're told that love keeps no record of wrongs. We should never get to the place where we say, fool me twice. Because to say, fool me twice, is to keep that record of wrong. We should have already forgiven. And let me bring this home right now because here's the relevant reason why we should not allow that to happen in our lives. And Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 6. Look at verses 14 and 15. He says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Plain and simple. Forgive or your sins will not be forgiven. Remember earlier when I talked about those worst sins in our lives, imagine those coming floating to the surface. If you and I choose not to forgive, all of a sudden, those terrible things that we have done, that God has forgiven us, that he has buried at the bottom of the sea, that he has chosen to remember no more, all of a sudden they begin to rise to the surface. Why? Because we fail to forgive. You say, how can I know? How can I tell? that I have forgiven someone for something that they've done against me that has hurt me, that has offended me, that has wronged me. And from personal experience, I can tell you this. When your phone rings and you see their name there on the caller ID and you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach, you can pretty much bet that you have not forgiven. Friends, I want to encourage you. I want to ask you a few questions as I close. Do you need God to bury your sin? Are there sins in your life? Maybe no one else knows about them. But you know that God does. And you want God to bury those sins in the deepest sea and remember them no more. That can happen today. Do you have sins in your life that you are concerned about, that you, you don't ever want to, to, to see the light of day again and you're saying, God, I need your forgiveness. You don't want those to resurface. God is willing to forgive all the worst sin that we have ever committed in our lives and to never remember them no more. You don't just have to hope that God will forget them. You don't have to hope that he won't hold them against you. You can know it. The Bible says in the book of 1 John that God is faithful and just. And that if we confess our sins to him, that he will forgive us those sins. Today that forgiveness is available to you. 
All that you have to do is to simply approach God and say, God, I have sinned, and these sins that I know that I have committed, they are ugly, they are awful, they are terrible, and I desire forgiveness. I want to be free from those sins, and I want you to be able to forgive me. And I want you to take them and bury them in that deepest sea that your word talks about and hang those no fishing signs on there that they would never come to the surface again, that they would never be remembered ever again. God, that's what I want. The Bible says if you confess them to him, he is faithful and just and will forgive those sins. Maybe you're listening to me this morning and your issue is a little bit different. You've been struggling to forgive someone who has hurt you. You have been struggling to forgive someone who has wronged you. Someone who has done something that has brought pain into your life. Friend, what you are in need of is a great cover-up. Love covers a multitude of sins. You say, Pastor, I don't know how to forgive. I'm not sure that I can do it. You know what? In our own power, I don't know that we are able but with God's help, with the help of His Son, Jesus, we're able. I remember that Jesus hung on the cross, and as they were crucifying Him, He looked up to heaven and He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus was able to forgive those that crucified Him, and I believe that He can help us to forgive. You're in need of a great cover-up today. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, as we wrap up this series called Love Does, as we, we talk about this great cover-up, I pray, Lord, for those that are, are listening right now and they are saying, God, I need your forgiveness. I, I want the sins that I have committed to be buried in the deepest sea and remembered no more. And God, I can't do it on my own. They keep coming back up in my mind again and again and again. God, take them and forgive me through the blood that Jesus shed. Look at my life through his blood. Don't see my sin anymore. Father, I thank you that even today, 2,000 years after Jesus died on the cross, that is possible today. Father, I thank you that when we struggle to forgive those that have offended us, that Jesus is our example and the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength including forgiving others. Father today help us to forgive those that have wronged us, those that have hurt us and I pray that we will find the joy of reconciliation today. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. I'm so glad that you were with us here today. 
If you need prayer for one of these things that we have talked about today, please reach out to us through our website. We would love to be able to pray with you. We pray God's blessing on you today. We love you, and we can't wait to see you this evening for our outdoor service. God bless you. Have a great day.